you're listening to the summary of the interview. For a link to the full-length episode, please check the description below. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! So the story of wilding really is our story of what happened on our estate over the last 20 years. We inherited 3,500 acres, my husband and I, in West Sussex in southeast of England from his grandparents in the 1980s. And it was intensive arable and dairy. It was already a failing enterprise when we took it on. We sort of assumed that, um, I suppose with the sort of arrogance of youth, we just assumed that it was his grandparents who hadn't been investing in infrastructure and didn't know all the latest technologies that had been making the farming business fail. We did everything a good farmer is supposed to do conventionally. And after 17 years, our overdraft was higher than ever. I think we were one and a half million pounds in debt by that stage. And we knew we couldn't go on. The problem we realized by 1999 was our soil. We are on very marginal land. It's grade three, grade four in in, um, agricultural terms. It's very heavy clay like porridge in winter and as hard as concrete in summer. And we just could not farm this land. We couldn't be competitive. Selling wasn't an option for us because this estate has been in the family for over 250 years. We wanted to do something that was going to work with the land rather than battling against it all the time. And it was in the year 2000, the year after we decided to give up in-hand farming and we'd sold our lovely dairy herds and we'd sold all our farm machinery and cleared our debts, that we met the amazing Dutch ecologist Franz Vera. His ideas about free-roaming animals and allowing them to drive habitat creation in the landscape that we thought might be an amazing experiment to try on our land. They were growing very staggy and dying back, these lovely 300, 400, 500-year-old oaks, because of what we were doing underneath them. We were endlessly ploughing the endless chemical inputs, the fertiliser, pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, everything we were chucking on the soil. And of course, just the repeated ploughing and ploughing right up, pretty much up to their trunks. 
and these trees were suffering. And I think that was an epiphany. We suddenly realised that these beautiful old trees that we looked out onto every day were dying, beginning to die, and it was because of what we were doing to the soil beneath them. Well, it's extraordinary. I mean, a lot of people who come and see our rewilding project say it reminds them of Africa. There's nothing like it left in the British landscape. And the key thing is we have these free-roaming animals. In a sense, they're proxies of the animals that would have been in our landscape before. Obviously, we don't have the aurochs, the ancestor of the ox anymore. We don't have the tarpan, the original horse. But these animals would have been in huge herds roaming Europe and Britain. And so we can use their descendants as proxies. And that's what we've done is we've put in low numbers. And so these animals are interacting constantly with the vegetation. They're the battle between their disturbance, the way they rootle and trample, the way they browse and graze, and of course their dung, their disturbance with their hooves, the way they trample the margins of the watery areas, the way they debark trees and break branches. All that interaction with the vegetation is what stimulates these amazing, marginal, messy, fringe habitats, which is rocket fuel for biodiversity. What you want is that clash between animal disturbance and the thorny scrub, the vegetation succession coming up. And then you get this landscape that looks like Africa, but actually it also looks like a lot of medieval Europe would have looked like in the past, so centuries ago. You've got uh, big open-grown oaks, You've got the new generation of oaks coming up through the thorny scrub, protected by the thorns from browsing. And then you've got open grazed areas, areas where for some reason the animals prefer to graze, everything bleeding into each other in a kind of kaleidoscope, this is very dynamic, shifting shifting landscape. It's, it's very exciting, but it's, it's very unfamiliar to the modern eye. We've got all these incredibly rare species. So in a period of just 20 years, we've gone from being one of the most nature depleted landscapes you can imagine, a virtual biological desert, to being one of the most significant areas for nature in Britain. So if it can happen on our land, you know, in busy southeast of England, underneath the Gatwick stacking system, it can happen anywhere. So it was a lesson for us very early on, I think, in our project that where we describe species as wanting to be in modern times is not necessarily where they want to be. We forget that we're we're looking at them in such a depleted environment that they're often just clinging on to places by their fingernails. They're in places where they're only just managing to survive. But what rewilding offers you is because you're not targeting particular species, because you're just waiting to see what turns up, nature reveals itself to you. So these species suddenly come flooding into areas that you wouldn't ever have imagined them wanting to be. And they suddenly succeed. They do incredibly well. We'd much rather be self-sufficient um, and entirely stand on our own feet um, so at the moment we have um, a, a very healthy income stream from our from our meat. 
We also um, have um, now an ecotourism business, and that's been very exciting. Um, we've had so many people wanting to come and visit NET because of our extraordinary wildlife successes that we thought, well, why should people have to travel the ends of the earth to see wildlife? Absolutely. I mean, it runs completely counter to everything that we know that we as farmers have been taught for, for decades and decades. It's a completely the other side of the coin. So it's going to be incredibly painful and incredibly shocking. Yeah, so we're just beginning to realise that um, large herbivores are keystone species and they can kickstart the, the dynamism. They can actually, it's almost like that they they inject the dynamism back into the landscape again by, by creating habitat. I think it's a lot of it is, a lot, is down to aesthetics, um, changing the way we think our landscape should look like. Um, and it's, it's really about how learning how to be messy again, how to stop being a kind of, you know, that, that sort of Victorian corseted control freak that, that we are and to let go. And I think human beings find that very difficult to do. So in a sense, I think um, rewilding, you know, it comes down to aesthetics again, and it is about a mindset and about learning how to rewild ourselves. You just listened to the summary of the interview. For the full-length interview, please find the link in the description below. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.